The sermon title um, is The End of Christmas. It's the, the end of Christmas. Because I don't know about you guys, but man, Christmas is not my favorite time of the year. It is for some. How many of you, it's your favorite time of the year? And I go, that's okay. Like, we can be different. Like, I just think you're nuts. But, <laughs> but, but when I say the end of Christmas, I'm not talking about uh, December 26th. Right? Sometimes we, we feel like, I just can't wait for it to be over. Like, there, there used to be 12 days of Christmas. Now it starts right after Halloween. I mean, they're used to, like, the geese laying and five golden rings and all of that. And now as soon as you're taking down the ghosts and the pumpkins, you're setting up your Christmas tree. Like, some of you are Christmas shopping um, all year long. And sometimes we're just trying to make it to December 26th. Like, we just want this thing to be over. And why, why is that? You know, why, why do we feel, feel that way? And, and here's my theory. It's because Christmas is complicated. Like Christmas is complicated. I mean, it's messy. There's family and there's, there's proximity and closeness there that, that isn't usually there with, with all of the drama. These people are coming over and, and they don't get along. Like she's a Democrat and he's a Republican. How's that going to work out? Like he's for impeachment and she's not. Like they're going to kill each other. Like Christmas is, is complicated and it's expensive, right? I mean, the older my kids get, the more and more expensive it gets. You used to be able to buy a $10 Barbie doll. Now it's a $300 something. I don't even know. It's crazy. And we have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of the social media accounts where people just kind of fake life for 10 seconds so they can get the perfect photo and put it on there. And then we want that without the price tag. And we're stressed and crazy because we don't have that and because other people do. Like Christmas is complicated. And I'm not even talking uh, about all that junk. Because all that stuff is our fault. Like we have done that to Christmas. That's on us. When I say Christmas is complicated, I'm talking about the, the OG Christmas. Like with Mary and Joseph, the original one. Like it was complicated. Like they had to go... She's pregnant. They had to go pay their taxes. Like, they couldn't e-file. They couldn't just go to, to, to the bank and say, hey, take that out. Could you imagine if you had to hoof it all the way to D.C. to pay your taxes? Or not even that. Imagine if you had to go back to your birthplace to pay your, to pay your taxes. Like, no Uber, no, no airlines. Like, it's bad enough to, to pay taxes. But it's, bad, it's worse to have to go back to your birthplace to do it. Like, and Mary's pregnant. I mean, like, major pregnant at this time. Not only that, but God complicated it even more. Like, he couldn't even book a hotel room. I mean, it's not like he didn't know. Like, he had plenty of time since the creation of the world, since the foundation of the world. He knew this was going to be, and they show up, and there's no place for them to stay. There is no room for, for them in the end. Then there's all the prophecies. And if there was a prophecy, you knew that it was going to come true. Like prophecy was God's way of like saying eight ball in the corner pocket. Like, and I'm going to bounce it off of that rail and that rail and it's going to go in. Like God, it was God calling his shot. 
And, and God doesn't lie. There are over 350 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Christ. Really specific stuff. Very, very down to the, the minute detail stuff about how it was going to go down. And some of it was really weird. Like, why not just make the shot? Why not just send Jesus? Like, you don't have to say off the wall, off the moose antler, off the backboard, swish. Like, but that's what God was doing. Like, why not just make the shot? And God's like, hey, my son's going to be born, and when he's born, there are going to be four cities on his birth certificate. Most of us only have one. Mine says Cincinnati, Ohio. But not Jesus, there are four of them. One of them was an international destination. One of them is where he was actually from, but he wasn't born there. One is a place that he's going to be born, but he's not going to be there very long, just to to meet some criteria. Um, And then there's going to be another one where there'll just be a bunch of weeping women, but it wouldn't be where he was from, and it wouldn't be the international destination, and it wouldn't be the place that he was born. So the point is, when Jesus came... And all of this stuff was fulfilled methodically and intentionally. We would know that God did exactly what he said he would do. God did exactly what he said he would do at Christmas. And it was complicated. And all while this has happened, while God is fulfilling these these prophecies, there's always someone who is the antagonist, someone who's trying to stop Christmas. I just don't want it to come. I just don't want it to be there. Like they wanted to put an end to, to Christmas then. And he happened to be the most powerful person in the country at that time. So it's hard enough to do something that's complicated if there isn't somebody that's running around out there trying to stop it the whole time. Now the part of the Christmas story we're going to look at this morning, like I don't know if you've ever ever read it. Most preachers don't uh, read this part out loud at Christmas time. But it's right after the wise men leave. And it's in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It says, When they had gone, talking about the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search, uh, search for the child to kill him. When he arose, it says, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled what the prophet was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, and that prophet would have been Hosea, um, saying, out of Egypt, I will call my son. That's the international destination on his birth certificate, Egypt. So then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, because he, he told the wise men, hey, when you go find Jesus, tell me where he's at so that I can worship him. And what he meant was murder him. So when he found out he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry and sent forth to put to death all of the male children that were in Bethlehem and in all of his districts from two years old and under according to the time that which he was determined from the wise men. Then it was fulfilled that which was heard from Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Like some of you are thinking, I know why that's not read at Christmas time. Like it's like a scene of game from Game of Thrones or something. Like there's this lunatic king sending out his soldiers to massacre all of the children, all of the baby boys, 
lest one of them baby boys might grow up one day and take his iron throne. He might be the king that would come and steal his place. This morning, I want to explain what God was doing in all this. Because believe it or not, God had a plan. And that's our second point um, this morning, that God had a plan. But first thing I want to talk about is Herod's plan. Herod's plan was, was the death of Jesus. His goal was the, the death of Jesus. He had a very simple plan, and that plan was to put an end to Christmas. He didn't want another king in Israel. He was the leader. And the truth was, he was kind of a puppet king uh, anyway. The, um, Rome was in charge, and they would instill these little kings in places um, so that they could um, rule um, and collect taxes, as Herod was doing. Um, and they took power pretty serious. History tells us about Herod uh, in particular that he was a, a very short man. So he had like Napoleon syndrome, little man syndrome. Yeah, I got that sometimes too. But he liked to run around and he would call himself Herod the Great. I am Herod the Great. Like there were a lot of Herods at that time. This one's the most jacked up of all of them. He actually had a preferred nickname. Herod the Great was fine. You can call me that and I won't kill you. But his favorite nickname or his favorite way to refer to himself was Herod, King of the Jews. And that should trigger something in your mind. Herod, like I've heard that before. It's because it was written in three languages above the head of Jesus as he hung on the cross. Here hangs the King of the Jews. See, the Bible prophecies in the Old Testament talked about this birth of the King of the Jews, which is why Herod got so mad when he learned that someone was born who was being heralded as the king of the Jews. He was like, no one's taken my seat. No one's taken my throne. No one's taking my place. He said, there's only one king of the Jews, and it's me. So his desire was to kill anyone that might try to take his throne, even if he had to kill every baby that was born to make sure that that baby didn't get king of the Jews. You might be thinking, man, there's no way someone would do that. That tells me you have no idea how twisted this maniac really was. A history, Josephus tells us that he butchered two of his eldest sons, chopped them up into pieces because he thought they were trying to, to speed up the line of secession at that time. Like, that's what he thought. Like, he was crazy. And he was inflicted with a disease uh, we know from history that ulcers um, just began to eat him from the inside out, and he ended up dying. He ruled from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. And the funny thing about this king of the Jews really is that he wasn't even a Jew. He was an Edomite who married a Jewish woman, um, and it gave him some, some credit for himself. Like, he built this huge temple uh, in Jerusalem for the Jews, uh, like, I was able to walk around some of the places when I was in Israel last year that Herod the Great had built up. His um, mountain-type retreat called Masada was amazing. We, we got to walk right through it. But eventually, he had his Jewish wife killed and her brother. He put him to death because he thought that they were trying to take the throne from him. And he also killed his mother-in-law, which led to an expression in Herod's day that goes like this, it would be safer to be Herod's pig than to be his child. Like, this guy was twisted. Like, he was, he was sick. 
Killing these babies to him wouldn't have even been a, a footnote in his diary that day. Like it was common for him to kill. But little did, did Herod know what he was doing here and trying to end Christmas and put Jesus to death. Like his whole plan, it wasn't original to him at all. In fact, it's been going on since the Garden of Eden. When man first fell and the first Christmas prophecy was, was ever sent out, so I know we read Christmas in Matthew chapter 2 and in Luke chapter 2, um, but it shows up way back in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve fell, like and God was dishing out punishment, he spoke a prophecy that he was going to, to, to fix the whole thing. And the answer was going to be his son, Jesus. And he even hinted at the virgin birth way back then when he said that, um, that this man is, is going to be born of the seed of woman. If you remember in, in sex ed, that's not the part that the woman contributes to the process. And that's all I'll say about that. But being born of the seed of woman speaks of the miraculous conception that's going to be through this woman and that is going to come. That it is fully God, fully man, the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. That's way back in Genesis chapter 3. It turned out that the serpent... That's the one who deceived woman. And he said this. Check this out in Genesis 3.15. It says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Like you will strike his heel. But listen, you're going to get your head crushed. Like mama's going to knock you out. And that's what the Messiah was going to do. And that prophecy was all the way back in Genesis 3. Now, I get weird text messages all the time from people, and you probably do too, from weird companies. They'll say, hey, you need to renew your car insurance, or you need to, like, your extended warranty on your car. You used to be on the phone. They would call, and I just wouldn't answer. But now it's text message, and I have to read it. So I open it up, and I block. I open it up, I block. It comes from a different number all of the time. But say you got a new phone and you got a message from a number you don't recognize and you say, Who, who's this? And they said, hey, next Thursday I'm going to crush your head. You'd probably spend most of the week planning a strategy that you wouldn't get your head crushed, right? You'd be like, hey, I have stuff to do. i got to work. i, I got to avoid getting my head crushed. Like, who is this person that's going to crush my head? Because the devil was told in Genesis chapter 3, said, hey, this guy, my son, he's going to crush your head. So what did Satan do? He spent the rest of the Old Testament and even up into the New Testament and even to the end of the book trying not to get his head crushed, right? That's why, and God promised, hey, it's going to happen through this line, through Adam and Eve. And he gets more specific. And then he says, through Abraham, I'm going to bring about the Messiah. So then Satan focused his efforts on, on Abraham and his line and, and wiping them out. And then it's going to be through, through Israel, that's why Pharaoh wakes up one day and says, hey, you know what? We're going to make all of the Israelites slaves. Or that's why Pharaoh says one day, hey, all of the babies, we're going to kill them at the age of two because the Messiah will not come. And then God gets even more specific. And he says not only out of, out of Adam and Eve and not only out of Abraham and not only out of Israel, but it's going to come out of the line of, of David. Why does Saul wake up one day and go, David, like you've been really good to me. Like you've defeated enemies, you've killed your thousands, you've made me look really good, now I'm going to kill you. Why? Because Satan's trying not to get his head crushed. 
Like, what in the world's going on? All that we read in the Old Testament is Satan trying not to get his head crushed. Because if there are no descendants of David alive on the earth, guess what? No head crusher can show up. Why do you think in the book of Esther, this maniac that worked for King Xerxes in the, in the Persian Empire named Haman said one day, hey, we need to wipe out all of the Jews. We need to kill them all. And it had not been for, for Mordecai and for Queen Esther, like the whole nation would have been wiped out. And there would have been no one connecting that promise of a head crusher in the Old Testament. And that's why King Herod, when Jesus was born, was in this urgent quest to kill Jesus. No matter how many babies it was going to take, he had to destroy Jesus because the devil knew, like it was fourth and goal with, with seconds remaining on the clock. The Savior was almost here. The woman had given birth. Here was the Messiah. He had come just like he said he had, and Satan's about to get his head crushed. And the devil didn't want to get his head crushed, but his plan failed. And Jesus lived and fulfilled divine prophecy. He was taken away to safety in Egypt. Herod's plan failed. And here are the last words spoken of the great Herod, um, the, the king of the Jews, in verse 19. Now when Herod was dead. Now when Herod was dead. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. He said, I'm going to kill Jesus. And God kind of said, no, I'm like you're, you're going to die. Saying, arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. And they go to Nazareth, and that's the fourth city in connection with Jesus' birth, where he would actually grow up. He would be referred to for most of his life as Jesus of Nazareth. The one in Bethlehem, he lived for a time, and then there was women crying in, in Ramah. You know, the point is that Herod thought that death could stop Christmas. Here's what God knew. That through Christmas, he could stop death. See, Herod thought that, that through death, I can stop Christmas. But what God knew is that through Christmas, I can stop death. See what I'm saying? That's, that's the power of Christmas. That's what God's doing. What the devil was trying to do was saying, hey, I don't want to get my head crushed. And what God was trying to do was saying, hey, through Christmas, I'm going to crush your head. Through Christmas, I'm going to do away with death. Now, how would he do it? How would Christmas work? That's the interesting part. And that, by the way, explains that, that even though it seems like a gory backdrop for a Christmas sermon, it's actually an appropriate frame of mind to, to enter into this season. Because tragically, we, we feel like it should be, you know, just the season of comfort and joy and the, the happiest day of the year. Let's stir our hot cocos with our candy canes and get back to the gumdrop forest, and it's a wonderful life. But the reality is, you just saw here that the actual first Christmas was marked by screaming mothers, grieving. Just like to this day, many of us enter Christmas season with grief in our hearts brokenness in our world all of the the devastation and sadness and evil that we see even though we try and have a good spirit about it all there's really so much pain as the song puts it the long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared 
and the soul felt its worth. Like death is the reason there ever was a Christmas. In the dark street shineth the everlasting light and hopes and fears of all of the years are met in thee tonight. See, he came to solve the problem of death. And that's why it's fitting that even at his birth there was so much death and bloodshed. Now the question, of course, is how would you solve such a big problem as death? And that's where it gets interesting. And we began with the plan of Herod, which was, if you remember, Herod's plan was the death of Jesus. What was God's plan in all of this? Interestingly enough, it was one and the same. God's plan was the death of Jesus. Only it wouldn't be in Bethlehem as a baby. It would be in Jerusalem, as prophecy said would happen outside the city, a full-grown man hanging on a cross for the sins of the world. Not as a baby, as, as though he'd have no say in the matter, but as a 33-year-old man who could say, hey, no one takes my life from me, but I willingly lay it down on my own accord. He says, I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it back up. With, hum with humility, he voluntarily did exactly what Herod was unwilling to do. And Jesus had the throne of heaven, the throne of all glory, and Herod pathetically clung to his throne as long as he could. But death pried his kingdom from his hand. That in death he had to let go of his throne. He had to let go of his power. He had to let go of his, his life. And all of us will have no choice but to do that one day. If our treasure's in this world, death takes us from our treasure. But if our treasure's in heaven, death takes us to our treasure. You know, Jesus showed us what Herod was unwilling to do. He left the throne of heaven. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that though he was very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, or he emptied himself, and he came in the form of a servant. He became a human, leaving the glory of heaven, coming down to this world, voluntarily taking our place on the cross. You see, it should be me and you dying for our sin. It should be me and you, because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have to, the wages of sin is death. That's why we'll die physically. But the Bible says that without Christ, we're dead spiritually, separated from God in our sin. And if we die physically and we're dead spiritually, then we'll remain dead forever, eternally. That's what the Bible describes as hell. But that's not what God wants for any of us. That's why he sent Jesus to lay down his life so that he could take his life up again. But as he would return to his throne, and when we get rid of our throne and understand that he's on the throne, there's room for you and I by his side. So here's our choice. Here's the decision you have to make. Do we be Herod and cling to our power and cling to our glory and cling to our sin and ourselves and be the captain of our own fate, the master of our soul, or do we willingly, humbly bow before Jesus and find that in losing our lives, we gain it? As you leave your throne, you'll find there's room on his. That's the hope of the gospel, that one day we can live forever with him. And that's the shocking power of the Christmas story. You know, Christmas is not a compliment. It's not Christmas like, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a compliment. 
Christmas is God saying, hey, there's no way for you to save yourself. There's no way. You, you've fallen way too far away. There's no way to do it yourself. So I'm going to send my son in the world to be murdered for you because you can't save yourself. And neither can I. But no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if you humble yourself and you come before God in need of his grace, he will save you. He will give you a brand new heart. That's why some of you are here today. Actually, Christmas wasn't the end of something. You know, Herod thought he could end Christmas. But there's another use for the word end. And it speaks to the ultimate achievement of something. See, the actual end of Christmas is the beginning of a new life for you. It's the beginning for a new life for me. Through Christmas, God saw Easter. And in the cradle that we see a sleeping baby, he saw the way, the truth, and the life. And if anyone comes to him, he comes to the Father as well. I'm going to ask you to stand. And today, if there's a decision that you need to make, maybe today you need to take yourself off that throne. Maybe today you need to surrender that to him and accept what Christ did. Because Christmas' ultimate plan was, was Easter. It was a crucifixion. Maybe today you need someone to pray with you, pray for you. We want to invite you for that this morning. I'm going to pray, and uh, Kyle and the ladies are going to lead us in a song. Father God, today we are thankful that in your wisdom, all the way back in Genesis, you thought of Christmas. You knew exactly how you'd bring about salvation for us. Father, today I pray that even though Christmas is complicated, it's complicated in our lives, it's complicated spiritually, Father, I pray for each of us that we would experience that peace that you promise. Father, I pray that, that for any of us that are, have made ourselves the king of our own lives, Father, I pray today that we would step away from that throne, surrender it to Jesus who is willing to surrender everything for us. It's in his name that I pray.